I felt like Christ was this wild superhero and just like being totally awesome and the Pharisees and the scribes are just a bunch of foolios, dude. Mm -hmm. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I actually got into a conversation tonight um, at my field ed site with someone who was asking about how do I bring my, my spiritual life into my everyday practices? Like, hmm, I have just the thing for you. I know who you need to talk to. Uh, I, he, I, he, was, he said it wasn't a Catholic, like, explicitly Catholic prayer group. So, Therese is about to go in there and romp and stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's so strange trying to describe her. Because it's, I'm like, yeah, she's just this 24-year-old girl. She, like, entered Carmel. She entered a convent when she was 15. And she went and saw the Pope. And it's like... Oh, man, that's so adorable, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, she just tried to love in, like, flowers and napkins and all that. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, I'm like, okay, these people are going to read the story of a soul, and their heads are going to explode. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you also have to remember, when you get to the end and, like, throughout, there's this thing called, like, spiritual desolation and, you know, spiritual dryness. And as she's dying, she's going through this. And it's like the most intense suffering that you could possibly imagine. So it, it's these two strange realities that are, exist 100% within her writing. And I've never tried to explain it to somebody who doesn't have a concept of the spiritual life, like really a, a, a depth in the spiritual life with things like consolation or uh, desolation. They don't, they don't have a lingo. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, they may have experience, you're right. But yeah, and... Uh, so you could just see him trying to understand um, what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, when you pray, God helps you to feel good sometimes. You're like, wow, I feel close to you right now, Christ. Or you help someone and now you feel good for helping them. It would be like doing all of those things but receiving nothing. Like not receiving any thanks or any praise or any consolation for doing that. Mm -hmm. Like you're just here helping and you had no desire at all to be here. As a matter of fact, it was really tough. He was like, okay, that sounds pretty tough. You know, that sounds pretty <laughs> difficult. So I mean, maybe he'll read her. I hope so. Yeah. Right into her trap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't worry, a she's trap. Just, yeah. She's just a 20-year-old, you know, French car. Well, even if, he doesn't, even if he doesn't read her now, like maybe he planted the seed. It took me years to mm -hmm. read St. Therese. I think I couldn't stand her. Confession, Confession. I've never read her. Dang, dude. Get out. <laughs> oh man it's so well i'll tell you what and this is no joke i couldn't when i was first starting to get involved in my faith starting to read a lot i wanted nothing to do with therese like i just a couple of people had given me descriptions like that i was like she sounds whiny and just like super lame you know yeah and uh and yeah i mean she found me most definitely most definitely, I I come back from, um, I come back from Haiti, and that trip just, oh man, it hit me so hard. Just like I had never seen poverty like that. It was the summer before I went to seminary, and I was just in this spot of like, 
I don't know, I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. I was home, which was, being home for the summer was great, but, like, I was having all these temptations of, like, why are you going to seminary? Like, you're, you're not called to be a priest. This is just going to be a waste of time. Um, and plus, like, coming back from Haiti, all that, like, all the stuff we saw there, like, I had, it was about a month, and I just, like, I felt guilty whenever I would eat. And even, like, when I would, like, sleep in a comfortable bed or whatever, I just had these, like, uh, things that really bothered me. And I had bought, my grandma um, had passed away that January, and she'd give me a little bit of money that Christmas before she died. And for whatever reason, I still don't know why exactly, but uh, I had taken that money that she, she had given me, and I bought Story of a Soul. And it was just, like, in my room at home. And I picked it up, and I read it in, like, two days. She sent me a rose, and I love her. That was it. Wow. Yeah. She's a power saint, man. She is. She She doesn't mess around. She's absolutely a power saint. But she came came and found me in Guatemala, and I needed her real bad. Because Guatemala was tough. Being in, like, learning another language and... I mean, you've done that before when I actually I was down there with people as well but I was going through a bit of like just spiritual dryness it was my first summer out of seminary and it was kind of you're out of the rhythm of prayer the natural habit that you develop here and it's like okay is this going to be for real am I going to take this prayer life that I worked on all last year and actually do it on my own um, and so that was I mean that was pretty trying and then Living in poverty in Guatemala. <laughs> the Drew Guatemala stories were classic. Dude. They, so then she <laughs> came and, and she found me. And I just like what you said, I had, her book happened to slip into my luggage. And I cruised through it in no time, man. And then she, she gave me a rose as well. I can remember being very afraid. You guys just used that phrase twice. What does that mean? She gave me a rose. So in her in Story of a Soul... She talks about how, and I don't know the exact line, but that she wants to spend heaven mm-hmm. interceding for people and, like, raining down heavenly roses or heavenly flowers on people's lives. So what that is, like, since she's, she's you know, died in the late 1800s, and um, the traditional thing is that, like, if you do a novena to St. Therese, you ask her for a rose as part of the novena. So I've heard, I've heard really awesome stories where, like, um, people will get a rose to just kind of, like, help guide them on their vocation. Like, I've heard guys that, I know specifically one guy, I was on a team with him, and he was not, he did a novena to St. Therese, and he was not going to do focus unless he got a rose from her. And he got his rose on the ninth day. What does it mean? Well, like, what was your rose? So my rose from her is that you literally get a rose from her in some way. So I was, I just told her, I did not do a novena, but I prayed to her, like, just through her, her intercession, and it was literally the most simple prayer. I was just like, you know, Therese, like, you, you know, seem awesome, like, from your autobiography, and I'm kind of going through a hard time here um, spiritually. Like, I don't have, I don't feel very loved by God, and to be honest, like, I don't really want to go to seminary in the fall, but I know I'm supposed to. And so, like, I'm just looking for, you know, like, a friend up there in heaven to help me out. 
And so I literally remember then saying, I was like, so if you want to send me a rose, great. And like two days, I might have been the same day, might have been a couple of days later, right in there, my mom has <clears throat> a rose bush in the backyard. And I had kind of forgotten about the thing, honestly. And I walked out in, um, you know, summertime, so I don't know what I was doing, but walked outside and there was one huge yellow rose on this rose bush. And so I just like viewed that as her sending me a rose and, uh, and I still have, I still have it. So I took it off the bush and. Whoa. Yeah. Still. still. It was literally a rose. Literally a rose. One. There was one single giant yellow rose. No other roses were on this. There was one. And uh, even like, I know this sounds really dumb. This uh, is so cheesy. But like in my head, going back to like the junior high days when you would send people like flowers for Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. In our school, it was always like red if you love them, white if you like secret admirer or something like that. But yellow was for friendship. And I'd ask her like specifically for like, I just need a friend up there. Huh. And she sent me a yellow rose. Yeah. Because I didn't ask for a color. So <clears throat> sometimes people will say like, <clears throat> if if God wants me to do this, send me a red rose, and this send me a white rose. You know, I've, people can ask for specific colors in it, hmm. but I I didn't in that, and <laughs> she sent me a yellow rose just to let me know she was praying for me. Like a real, this is a physical. <coughs> mine was the. Very much the same. So I have this rose. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? Is yep. it in your room here or something? It's in. It's still at my parents' house. In my room at my parents' house. I know right where it is. Wow. Yep. Rose from heaven. That's cool. Yeah. So this is very real to you. Very real. Yeah. Very real. I've gotten. I prayed to her a couple more times, and she's never not. I mean, it's not. So the thing is, the temptation I think is <coughs> to use this as magic. Right, yeah, like right. I don't know what to do, so I'm just gonna pray to Saint Therese and like, like put a yellow rose in my path if I'm supposed to. Exactly. So I'm gonna base my whole discernment of my vocation on this novena, yeah. and if I get a red rose, then I am <laughs> like for sure God wants me to do this like yeah. long term, and that's not like I guess that goes to Saint Ignatius's whole like if my jackass exactly, right, takes right. a left, I'm gonna go kill the Muslim. <clears throat> and see, that's not. That's not it. Like for I, the blessed mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I don't use it, like for, for that. But my experience with it has just been this like, a loving sister just like, helping you along the way, and she'll send you a rose to let you know she's there for you, and so it's it's just been very peaceful. Like it's been it's been awesome. It's been huge for me. Mm. Anyway, so and I know. There's crazy stories too where people have like gotten a really big sign from from her of like um, a rose means this or a rose means that. It's never been that for me. It's just been. Um, so do you literally get a rose when you say? So that? mine's actually pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it is. Um, <clears throat> so I was always very afraid to do a novena to her because I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Like I was afraid that I was perceiving it as some magic, you know. And I also, di- I didn't want to try, like, I, I want I want a rose so that I can know that I'm doing this. Like, I was confident that I was supposed to be in seminary, and I knew that I had a lot of peace that God was calling me to be here. And so I didn't really have anything in general to ask for, like, please tell me this. And honestly, I didn't want to. I didn't want to push the envelope and, like, what if I didn't get a rose? What would I, how would I take that? And 
And, you know, so I had all these fears going along with it. This classic Satan, of course. So after I read her autobiography, I said, forget it. I'm absolutely doing it. And I just read a section from her book, uh, from her autobiography when I was in Guatemala, just a little section each day, and I would just sort of meditate on it. And I can remember through those meditations, it was, I mean, brief 15, 20 minutes, something like that. I would always end up either praying to the Blessed Mother or praying directly to Christ. I would, it would always start with Therese, but like any good saint, it would always point me like directly to Christ and directly to his mom every single time. So I, I was already receiving a lot of fruits from just this little novena, this like self novena that I had created. I don't know if there's an actual prayer that you're supposed to do to her. But uh, I, so I went from like being pretty afraid to I don't want to do it to I asked for something like super specific because I knew that she was, she had chosen me as like her brother, as her friend. And uh, I knew that she was definitely interceding for me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And so I said, I want this very, very specifically. And I want to know, you know, I'm not going to tell you the prayer, but it was, um, I asked for something very specific. Mm -hmm. And so on, it was actually on the eighth day, and, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of vegetation in Guatemala. So I wasn't really, honestly, I wasn't thinking about it too much. But we had gone out, there was like a birthday for the lady, one of the staffers that worked at our school. And we went over to uh, her house for lunch, which was a strange occurrence. We had never done it before. And I remember like we went into her house and we're just hanging out and eating. It's beautiful. You know, it's like 70 degrees, perfect weather vegetation everywhere and we're just hanging out like oh man all the other classmates are there and all of a sudden I look around and there are roses everywhere where we're eating okay and I look over and there's a huge like monster rose right over my shoulder and I I've been sitting in the courtyard and I'm looking around and I'm just like oh my god <laughs> there are roses everywhere and it was like to the T, the rose that I had over my shoulder, like, was exactly what I was, what I was asking about. And all of the roses around were, you know, parts of a prayer that I had made as well. And so it was, I mean, it smacked me directly in the face. And, you know, we were talking about it the other day. It's, you just know within your heart, it's like, yeah, I mean, I could explain that I went to this place and I knew, and there was roses here and, you know, it's not like Therese came and planted all these roses for me. Mm -hmm. But when you experience it and you're you're there, then your heart tells you truly that, you know, of course there's yeah. physical explanations for this, but Therese, has, he, she's giving you this rose right here, and she's mm -hmm. placed all these things here. Um, yeah, you prayed for it, and people planted these roses. Obviously, it's not like Therese came down and planted them. But you just know that they're, that they're gifts. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's very much what I took it as, and... Um, I mean, it was very, very, very real. As you can see from my mini altar slash shrine here to <laughs> Therese, I, I mean, I love her. She's a, she's definitely what I would consider a sister. Um, she's a beast, man. I honestly had no idea that it was literally a rose. Huge. Yep. Huge rose. Right over the shoulder. I, I took pictures have, of it. I still have mine. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impactful. How did I get through six years of seminary and I heard you guys every Monday praying this, please pick for me a rose from the heavenly garden. <laughs> I've always thought, gosh, this sounds so corny. 
to me. I honestly like it's just what it sounds like. So yeah, be <clears throat> be honest. From someone that hasn't read Therese, like those two stories, do they sound just super lame and bizarre? No, they sound very real and cool. Nice. They do. I mean, I've heard of stories of like guys on boats in the middle of a lake and like a rose coming floating up. Relax. To most people in the world, this stuff sounds insane. I know, dude. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I yeah. know. <laughs> Even to a lot of Christians. Yeah. Like, I prayed to Therese, you know, that sentence. Or like, Christ in the Eucharist, a.k.a. I felt really intimately close to a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. That's what you just said. To yeah. a lot of people, that they would make their head explode. Yeah. You know, you know, but like I, I thought about this once when I was praying at Marytown, where they have the big monstrance and the, the Eucharist is up there. And, so beautiful. Um, and for like one of my years of pre theology, I would go there for my holy hours. I was really trying to get in the habit of making a holy hour. And so the easiest thing for me to do was just get in my car and go over there to mm-hmm. Marytown, because it was a concrete act. You just, you know, it's not like I'm putting this off. I'm scheduling it in my day. I'm going to drive there and do this. Yeah. And. Um, I remember being over there one morning, and um, there was just, like, one of those Franciscan nuns, like, dusting the reliquaries and, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of the chapel in silence. And there was, like, me and a couple other people praying in there. And then there was some group, like, taking pictures of the building, because it's a beautiful church. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, <clears throat> I I thought to myself, what are those photographers thinking about? us sitting here like do they think we're just sitting here thinking about stuff you know they don't they they might realize what's really happening which is that we're praying to that person who's present to us in that thing that looks like a piece of bread that's the that we're not coming because the columns look really cool or because the mosaics are beautiful we came for that yeah and so we're talking to him now or he's talking to us um, but to just take a picture of it, if you don't see through the eyes of faith, the behavior is insane. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, oh, the behavior of a crazy person talking to an inanimate object, mm-hmm. yeah. but not only talking to a, an inanimate object, but thinking like that it can hear your thoughts mm-hmm. and it's speaking to and you. that it's communicating with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, you know, Plato in his Republic, talks about the different levels of person, basically. Like he, he, in his Republic, he's got these four levels, and they they kind of correspond to the four levels of the person. Mm-hmm. You've got your appetites, and that's that's the person that's just ruled by the next thing that I want. Right. Um, you know the, the the maxim that the body is an excellent servant but a terrible master. The hedonist. The hedonist. You know, I right now feel like an Oreo or sex, yeah. and that whatever I feel like is the next is the next thing that yep. is going to happen in my life because I'm ruled by that. And that's what's going to be my focus to get what I want. You know, yeah. and we can any human being can understand that behavior. Oh yeah, because we all experience appetites. The next level up is the person that will forego the next thing that they want on the appetite level for money. And most people understand that. Like, I'm willing to, you know, not 
consume that thing because it's going to cost me money and I'd rather have the money because yeah. I could buy something else with it. The next level up is the honor guys. Like, I'm even willing up to give up money if people will think I'm a really good dude or yeah. really great or, power, you know, some kind of, like, powerful personality in the Republic. And so those are his soldiers, like people that will sacrifice a lot for honor. But then you have the fourth level, which is the Philosopher King, who will sacrifice even people thinking they're good in order to pursue the truth. And if you go down from any level, the money guy knows what appetites are like, but he's saying no to the appetites for a greater good money. The honor guy knows what having money and what having whatever your body wants is like, but he's willing to give up both of those things for this thing. And then the, finally, the philosopher king knows what everything is like. He's experienced honor, money, appetites, being satisfied, but he says, no, this thing, the truth, is better than all of them, and I'm willing to give up it all for this you know, pearl of great price. But if you inhabit any of the lower levels... If you are an honor guy, you think those philosopher kings are nuts mm -hmm. because you've never experienced what they've experienced. Yeah. And so you think, what's better than honor? You know? Oh, and by the way, screw the appetite and money guys because right. they don't get it. Right. They don't get how cool it is to have everybody think you're great. Yeah. But <laughs> you go down to the appetite guys and they're like, what are you thinking? Not just doing whatever you feel like doing. Yep. This is freedom. This is freedom. Yeah. Give me that Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I think... And so my point, I guess, is like the, the people sitting there praying to Jesus present in the Eucharist, it, it's not that the photographers get something that we don't get. Like, I understand science and logic mm -hmm. and all of those things, but I still believe this is true. Yep. And so who's the, who's the one that knows more? Who's the one that's really being fooled? Is that the guy who knows all of that stuff has experienced, you know, reality as it appears and says, no, that there's something greater, there's something more than meets the eye, or the one that's never experienced that and thinks you're just nuts? Yeah. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.